The High Vibe Nation is live. Welcome to the High Vibe Nation, where we have set out to raise the vibration of every human being on the planet. Your hosts on this journey are Sherry Gideons, Pamela Aubrey, and Christy Jones. So let's join them now in their current interview with a high-vibing individual. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the High Vibe Nation. We want to help people take a greater role in love, connection, and inspired action. I'm here with my co-hosts, Pamela Aubrey and Christy Jones. And today we have on the show the amazing Bob Donnell. Hey, ladies. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. It's Hi, not very Bob. often that I get to sit between three beautiful ladies who have an infectious spirit about them to begin with. It's your lucky day. That's right. <laughs> it's your lucky day. We're so, we're so happy to have you. Thank you. Awesome. So, Bob, start us out with sharing who is Bob Donnell and where do you come from in your heart and what you want to share with our audience in the world? Well, I think it boils down to a calling. And, um, and I'm very clear about my calling. My calling is to uh, give inspired strategic action. So first we create a vision. Then we create the behavior that needs to be uh, demonstrated to in order to get the accomplished outcome that we want. So when I look back at age 15, I was asked, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I had a gentleman ask me that, and I didn't understand why, but I understood now that what he was trying to do was prepare me because he knew that my mom had been diagnosed with cancer and was given six months to live. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he kind of uh, framed my life for me by saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had no idea. Mm -hmm. But shortly thereafter, I began on a mission. And that mission was to figure out how do I uh, become the person that I'm designed to be and so that I can live the life that I'm designed to live. Gosh, Pam, what do you got to That's say? incredible. Yeah. So I guess the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, what what was going through your head, you know, at 15 years old that you would have felt inspired? I mean, most 15-year-olds aren't thinking more than a week down the road. Yeah, neither was I. Neither was I. Mm -hmm. um, but I had, I had good mentors in my life. And, you know, I knew that my mom had been diagnosed. I knew that she was given six months to live, but, you know, denial on, ah, she'll live forever. Um, so I wasn't really planning on that, but when he said, well, you know, what do you want to be? I said, I don't know. Why, why are you asking me? Right. Again, boils back down to my question to him. Why are you asking me? And his, his comment was because you can learn a product or service or an industry, or you can learn something that drives every product service or industry. And I'm like, what's that? He goes, human behavior. If you understand why people do or don't do certain things, you can be successful with anything you do. I'm like, oh, sign me up kind of facetiously. But he took me at my word and said, great, go back and become a peer counselor at your school. So the next year I did, I became a peer counselor. And then uh, fast forward three and a half years, I founded my nonprofit organization, working with suicide prevention and crisis uh, management and crisis intervention. And it was based on that whole question that he asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I have no idea. If you understand this, you can get XYZ result. Okay, there's the formula. I want XYZ result. So what do I do? He says, go become a peer counselor. I took immediate action. I didn't delay. 
I took immediate action. I'm very coachable. And then based on that, it, it formulated a strategy for the rest of my life. Now, have I always followed that strategy? No. Have I always followed that calling? No. But I can tell you what, July 19, 1979, before that gentleman asked me that question, July 19, 1979, I was at a youth, uh, youth camp and I, and I knew that I had a calling in my life, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if I was to be a pastor, a youth pastor. I didn't know what else, but I knew mm -hmm. that I had a calling in my life and that was to use my voice or use whatever I had to have an impact on people. And so when that happened, uh, once I established that that was a calling on my life in July 19, 1979, it was laying the foundation for that gentleman to ask me that question. When he asked me that question, it all made sense. And then I said, that's what I need to do first. Wow. Hmm. What, you know, I'm hearing in that, Bob, is, you know, what, what I've learned from you in the short time that I've learned, you know, met you and got to know you is how important connection and asking the right questions are. Yeah, it's really it's, it's, it's only everything is my friend. <laughs> right. it's, it's only everything. And what's interesting um, is what opened up this up for you was a question that got you to think. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that you're 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 on to a really good point there. I think it's one thing to be asked a question; it's another thing to give it thought. Mm -hmm. uh, and and what what we see today is we see a lot of people asking questions, but they're asking the wrong question, and so they're getting the what. The wrong answer. wrong answer. What are they asking? Uh, when I show up in Las Vegas after the mass shooting, what's the number one question I was asked? Bob, how do you make sense of this? And mm. I said, you can't make sense of a senseless behavior. Mm. It was the wrong question to ask. Mm -hmm. What do I do with this new information that I have? What do I do with this newfound reality that I have? What do I do with this, this understanding that there's evil in the world, that these people, you know, things happen like this? What do I do with that? That's a much better question than how do I make sense of this? You're not going to make sense of a senseless behavior. Yeah, right. So ask the question, but make sure it's the right question and then give thought. Don't just give a flippant answer. The flippant answer gets you a flippant response um, mm -hmm. to life. And most people want an intentional response out of life, not a flipping one. Right. Yeah. They don't always know that they want something deeper. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? You're right, Chrissy. Except at the one point that everyone does know that mm. they want something deeper. They just don't know what that deeper is, and they don't know how to express it, and so therefore they don't know how to ask for it or look for it. But man, when it hits, if you know, mm -hmm. in my TED talk, I talk about this. When you are, when you experience connection. Mm -hmm. When you experience someone where they actually look in your eyes, they see you and you see them and you're like, holy cow. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing. No drug, no amount of wealth, no number of cars in your driveway, no bigger house. Nothing will suffice once you've experienced it. But if they haven't experienced it, they don't know what they're missing yet. Mm. Gosh, that brings me back to the moment that I very first met you. Mm. So I remembered when we met Super Bowl Sunday here in Phoenix. Yeah, and Lee Steinberg's party. Yes, yes, Lee Steinberg's party. And you did just that. You looked straight into my mm. eyes. Now, here's the thing is fast forward six years later, and I'm yeah. talking with Ken Walls, and he asks me, 
do you know Bob Donnell? And I'm like, no, I don't. And then I'm like, Bob Donnell. And after we get off the phone, your name kept coming up in my memory. Mm. And so what I remember the most when I went online and I looked at your face, your mm. eyes, because when mm. you spoke to me, you looked directly in my eyes. So when we were reconnected, myself yeah. and Pam, what was yeah. the first impression from that connection with us? Well, I mean, okay, look, let's, let's just cut to the chase on, on all of that. Um, you are both beautiful ladies, but your spirit from the inside beauty is even greater than the outside beauty for both of you. So it was very easy to go, I like these people. <laughs> and look, here's the thing I'll say about connecting. Whatever gift you have, whether it's outward beauty or whether it's an eloquent uh, tongue or whether it's the ability to speak multi-language, whatever it is, whatever that gift is, use it maximize it. You ladies, you ladies did that. I remember the first time we met Sherry at, at Super Bowl party. And, um, and I remember going, wow, she's really, she's got a great heart and she really wants to impact the world in, uh, in her own way, which is really powerful. When I see both of you at, uh, at, at next level by association in, in Scottsdale, I remember thinking the same thing. Wow. These are two ladies that are really about others, about serving, about um, being their authentic self. And uh, and so it was very easy to just go, let's go with this. And I think that's the, the problem is a lot of times we don't have anything to go on. And so what we do is we're, we, we pause. And when we can just get to that point where we just begin to go, what am I going to build on? Look, when I meet somebody, there's three, there's three things that I'm looking for. Are they going to be a strategic partner? Are they going to be a great quality relationship in my life mm. or are they going to be a great, um, are, are they going to be a, a, a great client? Now it doesn't mean that they have to fit in all, one of those. If they don't fit into any of them, that's fine too. We just aren't, we're just not a match. But I remember when I met you both that I was like, these are two great ladies, period, great ladies. And that was my focus. Mm -hmm. I love that because I, I remember the connection and the feeling. One of the things I loved the most about you is, is that you've taught all three of us that. You've taught mm -hmm. us about connecting more, about listening, about getting to know the people and building that relationship. Well, thank you. The, the only way I can teach that is if, if you're willing to learn. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's never on the teacher. It's on, it's on the student. And so um, I applaud I applaud you for being able to learn and being willing to learn. Well, then thank you. I can show to that point. How you know where do people start to do that? You know, if this is kind of a new concept to them, what is that first step they can take? Um, being, I think the the best thing I can say is inquisitive. Mm. Are you interested more than being right? Interesting. Mm. Are you interested? Um, when I meet somebody, you can immediately tell if they're interested, right? Um, and that's the focus. So the first thing I know that people have to have is an inquisitive spirit. They have to be willing to say, but what if, how? They need to be asking questions. Questions are the sign of inquisitive. If somebody stands up and as soon as you meet them, they just start telling you about their life story. Is there any inquisitive in that? No. But if they start asking questions about you, 
it's inquisitive. Inquisitive is the key. Plus, I think that people just need to. Um, I think as we as we develop as human beings and we create uh, more in our lives, it becomes natural to say, "What if I? What if what I know is like this much?" Like this much. Um, I had a whiteboard at my house and it was one whole wall. And I used to ask people when they would come to my house for seminars, I'd say, so out of this whole whiteboard, if this is everything there is to know about that subject matter, how much of it do you think you know? If that's the whole knowledge of it, how, and everyone always said, spec, a dot. Mm. And I said, but yet when you go to solve a problem in your life, the number one thing you do is go back to what you know to solve mm. the problem. What I would rather do is I would say, you know, what do I not know about this? A hell of a lot more than what I know. Now, let's operate from that place and let's see if I can come up with a different solution. And I always come up with a different solution when I operate from what I don't know versus what I know. Because I can always default back to what I know. Mm -hmm. Love that. So how would you, this is coming up to me, Bob, how would you learn what you don't know that you don't know? All right. Well, I think it's really easy, actually. I mean, think about it. If you say, um, I need to, I know, I need to fix my car. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe we don't know that much about cars, but we know some things. We know that we probably need to change our oil. We probably know that we need to put gas in it. Even if it's the smallest thing that we know we need to put gas in it. We know something. Okay. So we don't want to keep going back to that. We want to go back to what do I not know? Well, I don't know why it's not starting but except I, I have put gas in it, so it's not a gas issue. Okay. So what is the issue? I don't know. Okay, so if you if you don't know, that's a great place to work. Mm. Because now you begin to explore versus looking for just the things you know. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I know it's a little bit of a, a weird analogy yeah. because obviously you would put gas in the car first to make sure right. that wasn't the problem. It's, it's almost like checking things off. Like, okay, it's not the gas. Right. So is there noise? Right. Right. Is there right. noise? Like, okay. So what I like is that it gets your brain involved too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But then what are the other clues that you could take from that that would lead you on your next step? Um, asking better questions. Again, it's always going to boil to the, down to the better question, right? Um, do I hear the car even turn over? Yes. Okay. So mm -hmm. it could be battery, could be a starter. I mean, it could be a lot of different things, but we start to just ask better questions. Mm -hmm. um, once we've identified certain things, we can ask better questions. If you're looking to, to explore something new in your life, maybe a new relationship, um, maybe a new aspect of health, um, maybe a new, um, you know, um, a new business opportunity. The important thing is to say, okay, I know this, but what do I not know about starting a business? Mm -hmm. Because if I say, what do I not know about starting a business? Well, I don't know. Do I need to file a DBA? Do I need to file a, a, a nonprofit? What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. If I don't, if I can say, I don't know this, then that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Then I can go and talk to an attorney. Then I can go talk to a business coach yes. or a business consultant. But I have to ask that question, but what do I not know? Yeah. What do I know is always already evident. I just need to ask, what do I not know? And then start working on that. Yeah. And then knowing and that people that have those answers. It's going to boil down to that. Yeah. Then the power of association, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know people that know people? Look, mm -hmm. um, I was consulting this one guy. He, his business, had, his business partner had stolen everything. He lost his whole business. He lost his, his relationship and his family. I mean, it was just terrible. 
And he says, man, I'm starting all over. I'm starting at ground zero. I said, really? Do you know how to get vendors? Well, yeah. I said, do you have a relationship with some of those vendors that still trust you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have, do you know how to establish a new corporation? Yeah. I said, you're not starting at zero. Mm-hmm. Give yourself a break, man. You've got way ahead of the person that's starting at zero. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was just start building again on what we know. And then now what do I not know? Well, I don't know how to get um, a vendor that got burned in the last transaction to extend credit to me now. Mm. Okay. There's a better question. Now we started working yeah. on how do we position ourselves so that we begin more trustworthy with them. And one of the question for him was we, I said, here's what you want to do. You want to sit down and say, Hey, look, I've got an apology to make. And I just want to do that in person. Mm-hmm. Nobody does that. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. And I said, now when you're sitting in front of that, that vendor, you're going to say, look, I'm going to own 100% responsibility for what happened. You got screwed. And um, it was never my intention. My business partner and I did not see eye to eye. And some things happened that I did not have immediate control of. But I do have immediate control of this. I need to own up and apologize to you. And I need to ask you for for forgiveness or whatever you want, however you want to word that. And then um, and here's what, if you never want to extend another dollar to me, I totally understand. There is no heartfelt, no harm. And, um, and on the other hand, if you do, here's what my promise is. You will deal directly with me. There will never be another person that comes between yours and my relationship. And he went, okay. And he did. And I think he went to like five vendors and three of the five said, yes. Three of the five said, let's do this again. Let's try it differently. Um, But he had to offer some safeguards, but he also had to own the responsibility. But in that, in asking what I don't know, he he began another question. And that was, Mm -hmm. how can I get back somebody's trust when I've lost it? Mm -hmm. And then he took immediate action. That's so powerful. And to me, it kind of speaks to giving ourselves a little bit of credit too. that. Yes, we do know some things, but that, you know, we have it within us, the wisdom within us to figure out whatever it is we need to figure out. Yeah. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think one of the things that we do is when we do that with people, we, whether it's ourselves or someone else, we empower ourselves and empower them. Um, you know, my, my friend, I think you guys saw the interview that I did with my friend, um, Alex Vesely, who's, whose grandfather is Vic, Dr. was Dr. Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, one of the greatest books ever, in my opinion, and uh, especially on human behavior. And um, he said that his grandfather was speaking at San Quentin Prison, and he stood there and told all these inmates, these are the hardest, some of the hardest criminals out there. And he stood there and he said, the reason you're here, it's your fault. This is your fault that you're here. And he said he met with such warmth, enthusiasm, wasn't his words, but something to that effect, um, because, and I said, why do you think your grandfather got such an applause out of that, if you want to call it an applause? And, um, and he said, I'm not sure. And I said, is it possible that maybe for once they felt empowered? Like if it was somebody else's fault, there's nothing they could do about it. Mm-hmm. I'm, just at, I'm just at their whim. But when they said, it's your fault, they go, well, it's my fault. Then that means I can do something about it. Mm-hmm. And they felt empowered. And I think when we do that to ourselves or with our clients 
or with our friends or our children, we empower them and we empower ourselves. And we, when we operate from an empowered state, we always, always, always get a better result than when we're operating from a disempowered state. Mm -hmm. Well, I think so much of it comes down to, you know, being mindful in the moment, being present in the moment and really yeah. recognizing when you're going into that habit of wanting to beat yourself up or break yourself yeah. down or, or even like asking someone like you a question without fear, you know, because, you know, there are people that probably look at you and think, wow, you know, he knows so much and he's got this great wisdom and may not even ask you a question and, you know, be afraid. Yeah. And, and who's that on? Exactly. It, it would be me taking responsibility. And even right. here, she has a question. She says, how has the events that spurred your inner game book and your pillars continued to get you to your next level and be able to help others? And that would be a question that I would have for you, too. Yeah. yeah you know, I mean, the bottom line is when, when I wrote Mastering Your Inner Game, it was because I had lost my daughter, was living in my car and just trying to figure out how to put my life back together. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, I've got to build a foundation. If I don't, I'm screwed. Everything goes downhill from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so building that foundation was really important. So Mastering Your Inner Game was, was that part. It's a seven pillar part. And in that, I said, well, what are the important things that I know I'm going to have to have to rebuild my life? And, um, and it, the first one started with a commitment. Um, you know, there's seven pillars, so I can only go into one or two of them. But one is commitment. What, what does commitment look like? Um, you know, when I ask myself, what does commitment look like? The word commitment, great. What does it look like? Because we think in terms of pictures, not in terms of, of letters. What does it look like? Well, I said, well, one of the things immediately look at as a Christian, um, what it looks like is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for everyone. Like, there's no greater commitment than that. Uh, what else does it look like? Well, it looks like um, looks like my mom when she was dying of cancer, um, going through chemotherapy, my senior year in high school, and in the middle of the night, she's crying on the porch. And I had already given her a morphine shot for the night. So I knew she didn't, you know, I couldn't give her another one. She said, I said, what's going on? Are you okay? She said, yeah. I said, are you afraid of dying? She said, no, Bob, I, I know where I'm going. I said, so are you in pain? Do you need, do you need something else? No, I'm okay. So then what, what, what's hurting so bad right now that you're crying? And she said, she looked at me and she says, I'm afraid that I'll not see you graduate from high school with tears in her eyes. And I thought, that's commitment. Oh my gosh, that's commitment. Um, so when you think about that, you think about what does commitment look like? Mm -hmm. Now, now I have a reference point. Watch this. Mm -hmm. Now, if I say, okay, I'm committed to making $5,000 in sales. Really? Does my commitment look like either one of those examples? Mm -hmm. No, then I better not use the word committed. Mm -hmm. Or I need to raise my standard and show what commitment really looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's the option. Settle for less, step up your game, and I always say step up rather than step down. Mm -hmm. Well, and that speaks to that idea of fear too, because a lot of people don't want to make a, com a commitment because of fear or stepping out of their comfort zone. Because they're comfortable okay. being in that. Yeah, you know, and one of the next level pillars I teach is that fear and procrastination mm -hmm which is basically what you're talking about, fear and procrastination, will always take a backseat to a greater sense of urgency. Mm 
They just haven't found the reason yet. They haven't found the urgency behind it. If you said, I'm just, I'm afraid of, of doing this. Okay, well, if you don't do it, your daughter dies. Mm. How fast are you going to do it? I'm going to do it. What happened yeah. to fear? Yeah. What happened to procrastination? Fear and procrastination will always take a greater sense of, a backseat to a greater sense of urgency. So when somebody's talking about fear or they're talking about procrastinating or they're just talking about, I just don't know what to do. Look, given the right incentive, you'll figure out what to do and you'll figure out how to do it quicker, quicker. But we have to be the catalyst for that for ourselves. We have to create a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. Wow. Any thoughts around that, Christy? Yeah, I mean, what's coming to me in hearing this is really you had a sense of urgency, Bob. I did. And it, and it sounds like, you know, for you from a deep place of wanting of and one of the things that I've learned from you, too, is you don't you don't bypass the hard stuff. Yeah, you got to be willing to have the difficult conversation with yourself and others. Yeah. yeah. And, and from that, and sometimes in, you know, it's those difficult conversations of those difficult experiences that really allows us that opportunity to pull ourselves together and rise. And, and mm -hmm. what I admire about you is you did that and you share that and you allow people to bring out their pain too and their successes mm -hmm. in yeah, thank the conversations you. that you have with them. Thank you. I, I think what I, what I took from that whole experience and, and from every experience in my life, I believe that every experience you and I have gone through, mm -hmm. every experience, good, the bad, the ugly, mm -hmm. um, has been the price we've paid to be who we are today. Mm -hmm. Some people have looked at that as an, ex uh, as an expense. Some people have looked at it as an investment. If you're looking at it as an expense, you're expecting nothing in return. If you're looking at it as an investment, you're have, you have an, uh, an anticipated return on that investment that you're expecting. Mm -hmm. So when something happens, I look and I go, what's the... Is this an expense or an investment? An investment. Then what return am I expecting? Well, in that case, I'm expecting to have a better life than uh, than I did presently at that moment. Um, I'm also expecting to utilize this information to inspire others. Again, go back to my calling. What was my calling? Right. Um, then I look and say, okay, what other return on investments? I'm. I want to be able to show someone else how to do the same thing, not just inspire them. Mm -hmm. I want to inspire them, but then I want to give them strategic action on how they can do the same thing no matter what has happened in their life. Divorce, uh, financial ruin, whatever it is, whatever it is. And so once I got to that point, then I was like, okay, so now where's my return on investment? Now I've adapted a, a, a philosophy that says, where's the return? What's the return I'm looking for? Mm. And if I'm, not if I'm not looking for a return, then it's, it's merely an expense. But I look at things as an investment, and therefore I'm always looking for what the return is. The price paid mm -hmm. is going to be the same, but one's going to give me a return, and one's just going to give me another uh, expense to my bottom line. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, and the question that comes to me is, you know, how if, if you're not in a place where you feel that sense of urgency, then how do you get to that? Well, I would have to know more about the situation to be able to answer that because there's, you know, everyone wants a cookie cutter. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of times we look at it, oh, just give me a cookie cutter answer. Here's the problem with that okay. is um, for me to run um, a mile is a different 
a requirement of me than to run 10 miles. Still running and it's still miles, but one's going to require a larger commitment than the other. So depending on what the question, depending on what the situation is, I would say probably there's going to be a different answer for that. Um, but to, to just break it down to a simple, the simple part of that is going to say, what's the outcome that I want? And then what price am I willing to pay to get that? Plain and simple. And then to take that next step would be to say, what if I do? And what if I don't? And so when we go, well, what if I do? Um, well, I'll, I'll make more money. Hmm. Great. That's not very emotional for most people. Most people don't get excited about just making more money because I can give you a hundred bucks and now you've made more money. Doesn't solve your financial woes. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to get really clear on well, what is it that we're really wanting and then say, what price am I willing to pay? Tim McGraw wrote a great song where he, he actually sings the song um, where he talks about how bad do you want it? Hmm. And um, is it is it like is it like breathing? Is it like sleeping? Is it like eating? Is it everything? Well, then you'll accomplish way more with that than you will. It says, well, I will just I just want to make more money. Right. Um, for people in relationships, I always ask them, how bad do you want a, a great relationship? Well, I, I want a great relationship. But I mean, how bad do you want it? Are you willing to sacrifice what your want and your need is in a given moment for the other person? Well, it depends. Right there, I can tell you right now, it ain't going to work. Mm. Ain't going to work. Somebody says, Bob, I want to make more money. I want to, how bad do you want that? Oh, I want it so bad. Great. So if you don't do it, I had a gentleman who was very successful, but he got me in a, and he was in a downtime. And he said, my markets and my business is failing. Well, I said, well, what's going to happen if you don't, if you don't step up your game, if you don't start making more money? Oh man, if I don't start making more money, I'll probably lose my, you no, know, I'll probably lose my house. Uh, you know, I won't be able to pay my bills. Uh, you know, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably end up losing my car and lose my house. I said, so what are you going to do if you lose your house? How long have you lived there? 30 years. I said, is it not paid off? No, I've, I've mortgaged it a couple of times. So um, what if you do, what are you going to lose your, what if you lose your house? Here's the telltale sign. Mm. He's, well, I, I, I guess we'll just have to go rent an apartment. I said, go rent the apartment, but you might as well do. You've already made it acceptable. One of the next level pillars is whatever becomes acceptable becomes inevitable, mm -hmm. good or bad. And I said, so you've already made it acceptable. You've already thought about this. You've actually given it way more thought than you should have. When I said, what's going to happen if you lose your house? The correct answer, the answer that would have been the most empowering was like, that ain't going to happen, sir. Mm -hmm. I will make sure that does not happen. I said, so here's the question. What's it going to feel like when you go to your wife and say, honey, I know we've lived here 30 years. I know we've paid on this house 30 years, but um, I just, I couldn't step up my game. Yeah. Right. And he said, oh, I, I just can't even imagine. And I go, well, that's a good thing that you can't imagine that because you already imagine moving into an apartment. Guess what? Within seven months, he'd already, they had lost their house. Mm. And they ended up moving to an apartment. Whatever becomes acceptable becomes inevitable. But watch this. If he had made it acceptable to say, what's acceptable is that I'm going to raise my bar. I'm going to raise my standard. I'm going to put forth more effort. I'm going to put more strategic action. I'm going to hire you as my coach. Mm -hmm. If he had said that, and then it became acceptable to make more money, that also mm -hmm. would have been inevitable. But see, there was something inside of him that it wasn't acceptable to make more money. It was more acceptable to 
mm. lose the house. Mm. It makes me think of, you know, I hear the next lover by association pillars coming out and the mm. pillars stand out so much for me. And so, because I've now developed a relationship and a connection with you, yeah. It's like I told Christy, it's like my radar is on alert for the next yeah. pillar you're going to bring out. So I'm curious, for the benefit of our audience, where do those pillars come from? And how, do, you, do they just keep coming out of you in the moment? Yeah, they, they come out of the moment. Um, they might be inspired by something someone says. Mm -hmm. They might be inspired by something I watched on television. Um, uh, you know, there there's... They might be inspired by something I read, but what they are is there's something that I've got over 120 of them now. And so they just come at, at a given moment. And so it's not like I sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write down a pillar. It's like this life experience, this story that I heard or this movie that I watched gives me the idea. And then I take that and extrapolate from that what works. What works, and then that becomes a pillar. If I know that it works, it can become a pillar. If 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 uh, if uh, with Edison, you know, it's been said that he failed ten thousand times. That's not an exact number, but he failed. Uh, so, but he didn't fail. He found out what didn't work, mm -hmm. right? In that perspective. Now he mm -hmm. did fail. Trust me, it was still a fail. He failed. He failed. Problem is, the challenge is that take that failure and go. Okay, so what did I learn in that? What do I not know? What did I not know 10 minutes ago that I do know now? Mm -hmm. And then say, okay, now, now if I, if I got it to work once, then I can make it, uh, all I have to do is rinse and repeat and right. duplicate. Why does, um, why do franchises work so well? Because they can just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Bottom line with our life is the same thing. When we get to that point where we start to make, um, we start to make headway, then we go, okay, if I know how to make $5, then I, I know how to make 10. Mm. And if I know how to make 10, I know how to make 50. If I know how to make 50, I know how to make 100. If I know how to make 100, I can make 10,000. But we have to get to the point where we go, okay, now, what do I know? What do I not know? What do I need to know? And then where do I get that? And that's the power of association. Mm. I've surrounded myself with brilliant people in my life. I've surrounded myself with people that that feed me, that, that, that nurture me, um, I've surrounded myself with people, and I say this all the time, that my focus is to surround myself with people that know the deepest, darkest um, stuff about me, and they love me as if they didn't know one of those things. Because when you have people like that, they don't, they don't love you based on what you're doing for them. They don't love you based on what you've done. They don't love you on how good you look, how good you're doing, what's, what's going They love you. Because of period, you know, I just got an, I, I'm going to share something personal. I just got a, a text from an ex, uh, ex-girlfriend of mine. We dated for a couple of years. Amazing, amazing friend. She's hired me as a coach before, hired me as a coach afterwards. And she just got proposed to. And mm -hmm. she wrote me this text and said, you know, I just want to tell you, I would not have been in this position to say yes to this had I not experienced what unconditional love was from you. You taught me how to unconditionally love. And I remember because we sat down and had a conversation. She goes, I don't know how, you know, I can just love people or love you when something's wrong. And I go, because you don't love somebody based on the circumstances. You love somebody because you love them. Mm. And she learned that lesson. And she's now in a, in a great relationship and I'm really excited for it. But I mean, the thing is, is we've got to get to that point 
where we surround ourselves with those people, those people that can speak to us. You guys saw my, my thing with Wesley. Wesley can say whatever he wants to me. Mm-hmm. And I may get pissed. <laughs> I can say anything I want to say to Wesley. Anything. I can tell him to go F off. I can whatever. <laughs> because I know that I know that I know that our relationship is never in question. And our relationship is never at stake. Mm. When you surround yourself with those people, I mean, I look at like guys like Scott Duffy, who sold his business to uh, Richard Branson, who is um, an entrepreneur, he's just an amazing guy, wrote the book called Launch, wrote the book called um, Breakout. Um, uh, uh, you know, I surround myself with people like that. Larry Broughton, who owns, you know, multiple hotels, Broughton Hotels, former Green Beret, um, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. These are my people. Uh, Wesley Goo, Cindy Vaughn, the gal that I was just talking to, she's one of my inner circle people. These are people that I call my inner circle. And mm-hmm. when I have an issue, whether it's major or minor, I have already cleared it with them. I've asked them, them this 10 years ago, most of them, and said, if I have an issue, can I pick up the phone and dial or text you and ask you for your input? Yes. Now, look, I have a criteria for those people. One, if I don't take their advice, they can't be the person that gets mad at me. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a person that works with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be willing to say, all right, hey, you asked. I gave the insight. Once. Um, also, do I trust them implicitly? Implicitly. Would I, would I leave my, my youngest daughter with them when she was? Would I leave my, my bank account in their possession uh, with all the access codes? Would I give them my pin to my debit card? What? Would I do this? Yes. Okay, great. So I have criteria for everyone in my life. My inner circle has a criteria, and they've all met that, and that's why we have developed relationships. They call me and ask me for insight. I call them and ask them for insight. Um, sometimes they pay me. Sometimes I pay them. Sometimes we just do it uh, gratis. But I think when you surround yourself with the right people, um, not only do you get better answers, you get better results because those people that give you that insight are like, okay, dude, you didn't take my advice, but what can I do to support you now? Mm-hmm. And we move forward. Wow. And I've been blessed to have those, but it's coming to price. Yeah. And you know, Bob, so many people that know you now, they see that you have this inner circle and what you've created and what inspired you to move in that direction to really start surrounding yourself with um, people that you looked up to and inspired you? And, you know, what, what, like, when did that come about for you? Yeah. At, uh, at age 19. Wow. At 15, I learned the importance of, um, you know, knowing what to do, how to, you know, how to do something differently. At 19, um, I had a gentleman who's, who's uh, I was working with a young kid. His dad happened to be an attorney. His stepdad happened to be an attorney. His stepdad called me up and says, I need you to come by the office one day. And I'm thinking, why am I going to his office? I've been to his house. Why? I, I get why I go to his house. Mm-hmm. Why am I going to his office? I was nervous. Walked in. He says, sit down. I sit down. He says, um, you know, you've just really done a great, great job with your son. And I think you need to play a bigger game. And I'm like, what does that look like? He's well, I think you need to start, you know, filing a 501c3 nonprofit organization. I think you need to put together a board of directors. I think you need to um, start going out and speaking and raising funds. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'm 19 years old. Uh, you know, are you sure this, you know, this, I'm the guy? He's like, yeah, yeah, you are. Um, I said, well, what do I do? 
He said, well, first thing you need to do is put together a board of reference. I said, nobody's going to trust me. He goes, well, if you have an attorney on your board of directors or board of reference, um, other professionals will feel protected. Wow. I'll be the attorney. So right then I learned borrowed credibility. Right? I didn't have the credibility, but he did. So then he said, make a list of professionals, doctors, lawyers, psychologists, psychiatrists, marriage, family therapists, police officers, school officials, people like that with credibility. Make a list of people that you know, maybe they're friends, uh, your friend's dads um, or moms, maybe, you know, whatever it is. I said, okay, great. So I made a list. He goes, okay, now I want you to call him. So he gave me exact words to say, and I can't remember exactly, but he basically said, here's what I want you to say. Look, you know that I have a heart for kids. And I've been working with kids for the last three or four years mm -hmm. um, with somebody else's nonprofit. It's been suggested by my attorney that I found a nonprofit organization. We just filed a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and here's my attorney's name. And he recommended that I call somebody like yourself and ask you to be on my board of reference. Would you be willing and open to that discussion? Seven people. Six said yes immediately. The one said, I'm out of town. I'll be back next week. Let's get together. Got together, said yes. I had a sergeant narcotics for LA County PD. I had an attorney. I had a principal of a public high school. I had a marriage and family therapist. I had a psychologist and a psychiatrist, right? And I had a, a parent that was also an author. Now, wow, how did I get those people? How did I get them to stand in the gap for me? Well, because I had used and I understood borrowed credibility. The magical thing about that and, and is, is the blessing that was in that is all of those professionals, the psychologists, the psychiatrists, and marriage family therapists, they all said they would work with anybody I brought to them for free on one condition. I said, what's the condition? You have to be willing to be present in every session we give away because they wanted me to learn. They also wanted me to know what was being said so I could support it outside of the office. Well, that was a that was. You know, I have a friend of mine that was a PhD from, from USC. He says, you know, your PhD in, in business or in psychology is better than mine. Uh, he goes, because you got brac uh, practical and tactical uh, experience. So, but then I've taken that and I've, I've done that seven, over 75 different times where I've taken somebody and said, can I work for you for free for X amount of time? Whether it's a week, a day, an hour, whatever it is, can I work with you for free? And um, one of them, one was a gentleman who made $6 million one year and, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, how do you make all that money? And so I, I said, hey, can I buy you breakfast one day? He said, sure, sit down for breakfast. He said, I know what you want to know. You want to know how I made all that money because everyone's asking. I said, no, I, I don't really care how you made that money because there's a lot of different ways to make money. He goes, then what's your question? And I looked at him, I said, you know, the question I have is who did you have to become in order to make that kind of money? And he went, I've never been asked that question. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I believe the quality of your connection will always be determined by the quality of questions you ask. It's one of the connectology privilege. And he said, and I was 25 at this time. Mm -hmm. And he said, mm, let me think about that. I said, okay, well, while you're thinking about that, let me ask you this. I want to work for you for free one day a week for an indefinite period of time. We can decide as we go. Um, one day a week, I'll work for you for free. He goes, Bob, I'm 42 years old. I'm retired. I have nothing for you to do. I said, look, man, I will shag balls on your tennis court. I will be your caddy. I'll wash your car. I'll do your gardening. You tell me what you want. I'll do it. He goes, why would you do that? And I said, because I want to see how you live your life. I want to see how you live. That's going to determine whether I want to do it or not. I know a lot of people that give up everything in their life to get X amount. Not interested in that. He said, okay. I went to work for him a couple of weeks later, maybe the next week. Went to work for him, pulled up his house. He's getting the car. I said, where are we going? He goes, don't ask. 
He said, when you're being mentored, just do what you're told. I said, great. Point taken. Got in the car. Drove down to downtown LA. We look at this big, tall skyscraper. And he goes, we're going to go to the top floor. There's a boardroom there. Um, I'm meeting with a company. I'm meeting with their chief executive officer. I'm meeting with their attorney. I'm meeting with their CPA. I've got my attorney, my CPA meeting me there. And we're going to discuss whether I buy this business or not. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He says, be a fly on the wall. I said, done. I can do that. He says, great. So I become this fly on the wall. I walk in, sit down. He takes the P, the P and L's are out on the table, profit, profit, profit and losses, and uh, the contract to buy the company. And he turns to his attorney and says, um, "I want you to take the, the contract, and I want you to go uh, over in the corner with Bob, and I want you to explain to him, go line by line with the contract, and explain why this makes sense for me to sign or not sign." So the attorney does that. So he takes the P and L's. He turns to CPA, does the same thing. CPA says, "Okay, great." Goes line by line, everything else. Every day that I worked for him for the next six months was like that. I, I got a PhD in business because all I was was a fly on the wall. I went into shareholder meetings. I went into buying properties. Um, we eventually bought four properties. We ended up selling those properties. I was became the seller of those properties. Uh, you know, it was just an amazing experience. Now, had I not asked him, what can I do for you for free? And then giving him suggestions because his remember his original response is I don't have anything for you to do. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll do anything. Just tell me what I need to do. Yeah, I've done that with over seventy five different people. I've had amazing experiences. One because of my coachability. Two because I'm willing to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, brighter than me, have way way more experience than me, um, and I'm willing to just shut up and listen. Yeah. And most people aren't. You know, really what I'm hearing is that you're approaching them and not asking them what can they do for you. You're going, what can what can I do for you? You know, not wanting really wanting to help them. And in that you've gotten like this amazing education because yeah. you just wanted to yeah. be a support to them and learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, one of the other gentlemen was driving a Rolls Royce and I pulled him next to him and I had a little Hyundai XL and pulled him next to him and, and I, I rolled down my window and and he rolls down his, you know, he, his is a button, mine's a roller. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, um, hey, can I, we're at a stoplight. I said, can I, can I buy you lunch sometime? He looks at me and goes, why? And I said, well, clearly you've done something I haven't done at this point <laughs> in my life. He kind of laughs. He goes, pull over. I pull over. I walk up to his car thinking we're going to exchange business cards. He goes, get in. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> trade for a Rolls Royce a Hyundai. Okay, great. I get in the car. We drive around. He shows me these old apartment buildings that he bought over the years came over here from, um, I, I think, uh, the Middle East, came over here and brought over one family member at a time, amassed a fortune. And I remember when we were sitting there at lunch uh, afterwards, he says, uh, Bob, he says, um, he says, why would you, uh, why would you get into a stranger's car? And I said, <laughs> because I wanted to learn. I said, I've got a better question for you. He says, what's that? I said, why would you let a stranger into your car? <laughs> And he says, for the same reason, because you wanted to learn. He says, Bob, I can name on one hand the number of people that said, I just want to learn from you versus I want to take from you. He goes, I can name on one hand. And he goes, anybody that's willing to say, I just want to learn, I will teach them everything I know for free. And, um, and he was one of my greatest mentors. And again, we only had a short period of time. We maybe only had three or four conversations after that, but he's, his name is Luke Thodem. He's passed away since then. Um, but one of the, probably one of the greatest mentors, um, that I've had, uh, even though we probably only met four or five times, 
And only one of those was in person. Wow. I love that story. Wow. It makes me think I asked that very same question. Well, not even a question. I recently just said to somebody who was, you know, a multimillionaire and I asked him, basically, I said, I, I would like to learn. And you know what he, he said to me? He says, you were in the pro bodybuilding world, weren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, do you know when you got ready for a show, how you would plan the show out 12 weeks in advance? And then you set the intentions in the day of what you were going to do. You, you had six or seven meals you were going to eat yeah. per day. And you were going to exercise certain times per day. And he walked me through this for the whole 12 weeks. And he said, and get, he says, guess what? That's how I became a multimillionaire. He says, I had a certain mindset yeah. that I kept every single day. He said, I kept intending. I kept visualizing in my head. He said, I kept feeling the joy I would feel, you know, from that place that, you know, I, I was fit and I was healthy and I was well. And so that leads me into my next question for you around that. What's the difference between mastering your inner game and your mindset? Is it the same thing? Mm, great question. No, it's not. Inner game is everything, including your mindset. Mm. Mindset is really just the way you think about something, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. that thought process. Inner game is your past experiences, your values, your your personal constitution, your um, your ex your experiences, both past, present, and future. How you see the future, all of that—that's your inner game. And your inner game um, must be strong enough to support the actions required for the result desired. I want to make ten thousand dollars in sales. That means I'm going to have to make five hundred um, appointments. That means I'm going to have to make twenty-five hundred calls to get the five hundred appointments. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to be required to do that. Your inner game will be required to do that. Your mindset will have a portion of that, but your inner game, your personal constitution, your commitment levels, just you know everything that makes you up your, who you are today will be de will be the determining factor on whether you will or whether you won't do those 500, 2,500 and get those that amount of sales. So we have to look at it from the strategic standpoint of my inner game is my foundation. Most of us have a foundation that's been poured for a single bedroom, uh, a single story, three bedroom house, two bath. That's it. It, it. It's enabled us to get through high school, get through college, maybe get a job, right? But now we start adding a relationship, not just a relationship, but now a marriage. Now we're not just a marriage. Now we've got kids. Now we've got kids. Now we've got not just a job, but now a career. Now we've got debt that we've got to figure out how do we overcome that. Now we, we've got all these things. Right. Well, we have literally added three and four and five stories to a house where the foundation was only poured for a single story. And guess what happens? Mm -hmm. It cracks. Mm -hmm. And that's what no normally happens. So I would say, as you build your life, make sure that you're building a foundation strong enough to support the actions required for the result that you desire. Then build to the next level, build to the next level. And one of the next level pillars is every next level of anything, your health, relationship, finances, business, spirituality, well, no matter what, every next level will demand not request, but demand a different you. And so you're going to have to evolve in this process. And so in order to do that, that's where we lay that foundation. Your inner game is the foundation, mm. the foundation. And without it, the whole house comes tumbling down. Mm. Wow. wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really, you know, when you, when you look at both parts of it, you start to really understand the importance of both 
that, you know, I mean, we hear a lot about mindset, but we don't necessarily always hear a lot about the inner game and what that really yeah. means and what that really looks like. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, and mindset, like I said, my, I'm a big fan of mindset, mm -hmm. but I just realized it's a portion of, yeah. it's not the all inclusive. It's part of that. Yeah. Bob, I'm wondering, you have grandchildren. Yeah. Three. And I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, what, you know, are they old enough that they can start learning some of your pillars and, and are you imparting some of this wisdom to them? You know, my, 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 my grandchildren are six and two and I'm sorry, six, six and two. And um, so not fully, but I know my six year old really picks up on things really quick. Mm -hmm. And um, so he does, he does understand some of that. Um, but the, the funny thing is, is when you're, when you're raising your kids and your daughter uh, or your kids quote you to you. <laughs> and that's the interesting part. When my daughter says, um, when she was growing up, I said something and she goes, yeah, I know dad, I've been to your seminar. <laughs> or, you know, dad, well, is that what you would say to a client? Like, oh, but you know, she's 30, she's 32 now, 31 now. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think, yes, it's a dripping effect at this age because because at that age, but it's it's a dripping effect. Um, again, you know, all I can say, ladies, is, man, we're meant for so much more than what what we're doing. Um, you know, we talked about the coronavirus. We talked about, uh, you know, man, life is so much more than that. Life is so much more than um than the game we're playing right now and i don't care how big you're playing i mean i've I, i've surrounded myself with some of the most successful people in the world and even to that person that person i would look at them and i would say and you still have not scratched the surface mm -hmm. you still haven't scratched the surface and i mean that because um you know joel Osteen has a great statement he says i believe that your best days are ahead of you yes. and i truly believe that i believe our best days are ahead of us and and yet although sometimes i don't feel like it and sometimes i don't act like it um, and so I need that reminder. And I, I saw somebody type in accountability. We yeah. need that accountability. You know, um, I've got people on this call that are accountability people in my life. Mm -hmm. If I'm stepping off to the side, they'll be like, dude, really? Mm -hmm. Are you sure about that? I'm like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. okay, okay. Um, and again, you surround yourself with people that can say whatever they need to say to get your attention. Mm -hmm. And you may get pissed. That's okay. But mm -hmm. is the relationship at, at stake? No. The relationship was never at stake. They can say anything they want. And I think, you know, um, you ladies are on this new venture and you guys are doing some things right now. You ladies are, are doing some things right now. And um, I just want to encourage you that um, surround yourself with people that will speak life into you, but will mm -hmm. also speak that accountability mm -hmm. and share from their heart. Um, and a lot of times, um, you know, maybe it's in a great coach, maybe it's in a great friend whatever that is, but make sure that you're, you know, you're just surrounding yourself with those people because mm -hmm. man, everything I've done has really been as a result of the people I've associated with and my ability to be coachable. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also willing to allow yourself to, as you said, think in a higher state, think in a higher association with people like the people that you surround yourself with, like your Mark Victor yeah. Hansons and a lot of right. the people that you've mentioned. Sure. And, and, and like with us, us three, we're surrounding ourselves with you. 
And that association has introduced us and brought us around so many of the people that you're speaking at about, yeah. you know, at another level. And so yeah. now we're able to create relationships with those kind of people and connections yeah. with those kind of people. And, the, and honestly, we're realizing they're people just like us. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And some, and sometimes they're not as evolved as you. <laughs> and I say that I, 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 there's a lot of people that have great, um, great credentials mm -hmm. that aren't um, that aren't as evolved as as some of you. There's Mr. Swanson right there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, think about him, who he surrounded himself with. I mean, I've met some great people through Eric Swanson. I've met some mm -hmm. some people that I consider great friends of mine today through Eric. Um, and I think, you know, the thing is, is do you surround yourself with people that um, are willing to make introductions without having the necessity to be a center of that introduction? Let me explain. Mm -hmm. I introduce to somebody, to somebody, my thing is when I introduce them, I want to know that I can walk away, never be a part of that conversation again. And then I'll still be remembered for the introduction not that it has to be mentioned every time, but that I'll still be uh, I'll still be um, remembered and that I don't have to be in the, every conversation. There's a lot of people that make introductions and then they want to be a part of every conversation mm -hmm. or they feel slighted. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, the more you can do that without me, the better off I am. Because when you guys are talking about me and I'm not there, I've just multiplied my impact ratio without me having to spend more time to do it. Awesome. And that, so do you have any parting words for us? It's been an hour already. I can't believe, I just love everything you share and this time has flown by. I mean, share yes. with us any imparting words that you'd like to leave with our audience. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you guys are, you ladies are part of Next Level by Association, the virtual, right? And so yeah. Next Level by Association is my, my flagship thing because I think it's one of the coolest things to be able to once a week stay in, in connection with a group of people that are really wanting to grow, really wanting to develop, and then take those introductions like Mark Fitzgerald or like some of the people that, that I associate with and you to be able to hang out with them, um, even if it's virtually right now, uh, to be able to, to look them in the eye through a computer and through a camera and ask them a question and get an answer versus being on a podcast and hearing them go, well, I wish I could ask this question, but it didn't happen. Um, so I think that that's one of the things. Surround yourself with those people being able to do that. I think, you know, one of the one of the great things of ne about Next Level by Association is the, coachability, the coaching uh, component to that. We have that coaching weekly group coaching call. And, you know, every, every week I host a weekly group coaching call and I've done it for uh, eight or nine years now. And um, I want to invite anyone on your call that if they want to um, type this in, if they'll text um, HVN, High Vibe Nation, get it? See, see that? Mm -hmm. HVN to 949-229-8016. Um, they will get an invite to a group coaching call tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Then I'm just going to I put capitals, sorry. Nine, uh, HVN. High Vibe Nation, 229, 949-229-8016. Just type in or text HVN, and you'll get a link to register for a call I'm going to do 10 o'clock tomorrow morning so that anyone that's listening who wants to hop on a coaching call, uh, they can experience a group coaching call, and I'll stay on 
as many people want to get on, I'll stay on and answer any questions you can ask, personal or professional. But I will tell you this. I'm very laser focused on the coaching calls, as you ladies know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, we're not going to mince words and we're not, we're not going to listen to story. It's going to be solution. Solution, laser focus is going to be the key. But um, bring any question you want. I'll address it. And if I don't know it, I'll refer it out. I'll get you to somebody who can. Okay, so let's make sure we have this right on the screen. HBN 229-949-229-8016. No, it's 949. Forget the first 229. Okay. 949-229-8016. It's a phone number. Got it. And um, so anyone who wants to hop on that and then, you know, we'll throw in, we'll throw in something else tomorrow night. It's next level by association. The third Thursday of every month I've done for 10 years in Orange County because we're not meeting personally anymore because of uh, this whole thing right now. Um, We do it virtually. And tomorrow night we have a guest of honor that you guys are not going to want to miss. It's going to be an amazing experience. And uh, so I'll invite you as my guest to come and sit down. That's membership only or first time guest. Come as my guest um, or the guest of these three ladies. Come be a part of that tomorrow night. You're going to want to hear and then you're going to be able to want to uh, to see the questions that people ask this person mm-hmm. and then how you're going to learn and take from that. So you got one, a free co- group coaching call. Two, you have access to Next Level by Association Virtual tomorrow night. Uh, that's at 630 Pacific Standard Time. Uh, man, I, I think if you take action on both of those mm-hmm. and you don't walk away a better person, mm-hmm. you have to own that one. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in tonight. Thank you for sharing you. this out with all of your listeners. I want to ask my co-hosts here if there's anything they want to leave a parting message with. So I guess what I would say is who's ever on, take action. You've got two opportunities, right? Take the action. Yeah. Take the action. Get on the calls. And thank you again so much for being here with us tonight. Always a joy to share these amazing, wonderful people out with you. And thank you for sharing this with the people you know as well. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Thank you again, everybody. We'll see you next Monday on the High Vibe Nation at 5 o'clock p.m. We'll have an amazing guest. You can find us out on the web at www.thehighvibenation.com. You can also find us on Facebook, The High Vibe Nation, and on Instagram, The High Vibe Nation. Thank you so much again for, for joining in with us tonight, and have a great rest of the week. The High Vibe Nation is live. Welcome to the High Vibe Nation, where we have set out to raise the vibration of every human being on the planet. Your hosts on this journey are Sherry Gideons, Pamela Aubrey, and Christy Jones. So let's join them now in their current interview with a high-vibing individual.